live from the internet. It's ZN Live. Right, episode 293. Do you believe that, Lira? Today, we are very happy to have a, an expert guest on the show, Dorian, who is both an expert at political communication, but he's also an entrepreneur. He founded a travel business online, and he's running a circle that discusses uh, digital communication issues around the tech sector. Uh, so, Dorian, uh, to begin with, uh, I know that you're you have this this really interesting uh, travel business. So, tell us a little bit about what it is that you do, and how has this summer, this post-COVID summer, been, and what do you think is going to happen next? Hi, Liora. Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me on the show today. Uh, great to be here. Well, no, indeed, definitely. Like uh, like you say, I've got a, a bit of a varied profile. I've always liked to have uh, different aspects to my to my work life, and uh, every day is different, which is uh, something I enjoy a lot. Regarding the travel sector, yeah, of course. So uh, uh, it's been a challenging uh, few years uh, for my startup. It's called Sphere Travel Club, essentially a platform for holiday home rentals and exchanges in between owners. Um, yeah, the the challenge, of course, being COVID with the travel restrictions having been up and down, left and right, changing just now, Japan only slowly opening up. So it's, it's still definitely around. Uh, I would say the positive note for the travel sector is that it starts to become manageable. Uh, we know that now towards uh, the autumn and winter, we'll, we'll get some higher numbers and, and maybe some small waves. Hopefully they will stay small. Um, but we know that for next summer, it will... Uh, will lower again and thereby we will, we will know how to plan about this. Of course, hygiene rules and, and safety rules uh, stick, uh, we have to stick to those and those stay in place. But generally speaking, um, the mood is high. There's been a lot of rebound travel this summer um, from all colleagues, uh, other companies I've heard of, they, they had very good numbers as, as well as ours, of course. And uh, so it's certainly a sector that is uh, back on the boom or, or certainly uh, on the up. Do you, do you think people forgot COVID? Because, I mean, I was traveling and I think you barely see any any restrictions in place anymore. I mean, the, the, do you think there's any residual change from COVID? I think that the most change or the residual elements from COVID is to, to enjoy life and enjoy traveling again. Uh, but um, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. I was in Japan a few years ago, and there um, they still wear masks on public transports pretty much all the time. Of course, they're very hygienic and, and respectful, generally speaking. And actually, the flu infection rate in, in Japan is much lower uh, each year because everybody wears masks in public transport. So I was, in a way, hoping that maybe this would stick also here, here in Europe, uh, generally speaking, maybe on planes, uh, in public transport. But I, I don't think it, it will. Uh, it's... it's uh, too much of a discomfort, and I, I guess we are we are too much used to uh, the pleasures of life and the comfort of life, and too much of an individualistic society compared to Japan, for instance. Hence, I don't think uh, those things will stick. It's harder to stick to that to those new behaviors um, in in Europe. I think you know in planes they still say you, you're advised to wear a mask, and I, I think most people don't feel that they should, and it's just too much trouble. It depends on how you communicate around it. I mean, I was on the train recently from Germany to Belgium, and as we crossed the border into Belgium, uh, the, the train conductor said, look, uh, we've now left Germany. The obligation to wear a mask is not uh, valid anymore, so feel free to do whatever you want as of now, but we still recommend to wear the mask. 
great. I mean, that's it's uh, you. There is a power of communication, and of course, you can frame things differently. It all depends on the intention and where you want to go, of course. Yeah. Well, actually, I mean, if you go to a hospital, you still have to wear a mask if you're getting a vaccine. And Lior and I just got the vaccine uh, yesterday, so there you have to wear a mask. So, Lior, how was your fourth vaccine shot? Yeah, we do these things together, Phil and I, you know, in tandem. <laughs> it was great. It was me and a bunch of 70-year-olds getting their vaccine. So I felt very wise because, you know, that's what you do. Uh, and uh, now my whole body aches, like, you know, like I went to do heavy sports. Um, and I feel like that means that it works. So I'm also in fan, a big fan of the influenza vaccine. So I like to do these things which are easy and then protect you. So yeah, I'm all good. Yeah. No, actually, I, I was surprised. There was a, a big queue of people actually, and, and it was packed. So because I expected it to be pretty empty or at least much less than in the previous ways, but there were quite a few people. So let's see what, 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 what happens. Sorry? What age? It was probably the older age group, but still, uh, I mean, you know, just to get to the parking, the parking was completely full. People were directing people, things like that. So it was actually compared to the times I did the previous vaccine, I was surprised because I expected it to be a fairly, you know, not uh, not getting a lot of traction from people. Yesterday, I was actually talking to IFA, which is the uh, International Federation of Aging, on vaccination communication to the uh, older adult population. Um, and I think, you know, this is really one of the challenges, which is how do you communicate uh, and inform in a way that this uh, population is comfortable with the information and, and, and the content uh, that they have. Um, now, Dorian, one other thing that you're, uh, well, one of the many things you're active on is, uh, you know, the conversations around uh, tech topics, digital topics. Uh, so you say you, you you can tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing there and maybe, you know, misinformation was, I would say, the big topic of the COVID uh, pandemic. You know, how does how do platforms deal with this? What is their responsibility? And especially in relation to vaccine communication. Uh, so what what trends are you seeing in those discussions and what would you say are the big challenges facing the, the, the tech space? Well, uh, so for, I mean, my my angle from tech is essentially one of um, the, uh, the the small businesses. Um, I created the, the the digital circle, which is a roundtable um, for small business representatives in the Brussels, Brussels bubble uh, to essentially get together and and and, and share information, knowledge, uh, intel. Why? Um, because the initial challenge was that if you are a one woman or one man show around Brussels, there's just so much to cover in the digital domain because digital touches everything uh, and yet um, is, is in, in all domains. So impossible to really uh, cover it all as one person. So the idea was to really get together with people from different sectors, uh, sit down around the same table, leave our roles behind or at the door for a moment and, and then just chat, discuss and help each other out with uh, with information so it, it, it works quite well we have um, uh, people from uh, the institutions represented people from uh, different sectors um, mainly and only not actually only Europeans so uh, that's I would say one one of the the challenges there how can the European Union in a certain way 
create this, um, or how does it address uh, the rift between uh, transatlantic uh, uh, relationships in this domain? Is it uh, a European versus the rest of the world uh, battle about uh, hegemony in the digital uh, universe or, or not? Is it working together? I mean, we see on AI standards, uh, what is the AI European way versus the Chinese way versus the American way? I think the important thing here is to, on the one hand, know that we need global players, to, to essentially resist and, and, and continue combating or fighting or working together with others on the global uh, level, but at the same time also encouraging small companies to innovate and, and, and not be bought up by uh, uh, giga companies uh, such as uh, the, the big five, uh, the GAFAM, um, and thereby essentially monopolizing the markets and, and, and blocking innovation. But then again, we see things like GDPR, which for, for startups were absolutely disastrous, uh, spending lots of money and time on things that uh, represent uh, no real added value. Uh, um, but then again, there is added value because it's about privacy. And we, we, we know that our privacy and our data is kept safe, but that doesn't really push sales, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think GDPR is a very interesting example of a, a very a good intention and a, a, you know, a, a very necessary conversation but then the execution especially for a lot of companies just didn't really make sense so people are struggling with uh how to implement it how to make sense but there you, you sense at some level it makes sense but it's hard really hard to do uh now in the tech space and you know i talked a bit about misinformation uh we have a lot of uh potential crisis unfolding and i know Lior, you had a question on crisis and transparency for dorian yeah, I was wondering what your opinion is. If there is a crisis that concerns your small business, your big business, your association, your company, um, and it plays out on social media, people are saying things that are either not true, half true, um, you know, and you see that it's not turning into a big deal, but it's just not factual. Um, you see that the initial response that a lot of companies and organizations have is just to say, okay, let me just sit still, let it, you know, let me not raise any attention, then it was just gonna, it's just gonna go away. And often it does. What is your opinion? Is that a good strategy or do you think something else should? Well, I mean, I have uh, several points on this. First of all, my upbringing was always that, uh, uh, liars have short legs and liars never run very far. Uh, not necess necessarily talking about lies, but the opposite being you should always go for the truth or transparency. That's one thing. And um, certainly, I mean, actually, fr from experience, I was working for a, a big Belgium telecoms company that you probably know of. Uh, and uh, we were introducing a, a new way of working inside internally. And there were some, some frictions with uh, essentially the... Um, uh, the people, members of trade unions and those that were not. And so there was a lot of uh, online uh, debate coming up. And that's leading to my second point about online never forgets. So it's always out there. It will always be out there. Someone will have screenshotted it. So it can always come out. So it's very important to be very diplomatic and transparent about it. And the way we managed to essentially resolve the issues uh, back then in that company was to have a very open discourse and dialogue, essentially uh, address uh, honor the fact that somebody speaks up and says, look, there's something wrong here, uh, and then frame the debate to some extent, say, look, uh, indeed, your point comes from there. In the bigger debate, in the context, it, it, it means this, and then address those points as good as possible to um, either find a compromise or, or calm the tempers. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And, and I would say, uh, you know, Liara, to, to the point, what do you do in a crisis? And of course, each crisis might, it has a specific makeup, but I think generally, 
the more you can lean towards transparency, the better you're going to do in the long term. Because by avoiding the discussion, you might do okay in the short term because people didn't pick it up, but then you never know when the issue is going to come back. And I think for our business, for, for ZN, um, because we're focused on digital, I think transparency has always made more sense than the, the old style traditional lobbying, which is all about keeping information, not sharing it, and not communicating unless you have to. And I think what we're trying to do is to reverse that mindset and say, look, what you really want to do is be as open as you possibly can about your problems, about your issues, and show that you're doing things. Why? Because first of all, internally, um, it's going to make your culture much healthier. Secondly, most crises come from the inside. So even if you hide the information when somebody leaves or is angry or whatever, they will share it with uh, the internet. So you can't really keep things hidden in the digital age. So I think we, we, you need to lean towards transparency. I think it's often more painful in the short term, but in the long term, I think it allows you to, uh, to build a, a better conversation. And, and talking about conversations during, um, I was at a meeting at uh, Erasmus uh, at, at the commission just this week. Uh, Erasmus Plus. It was actually their kind of big gathering for the communicators all around Europe. First time in uh, three years. So obviously, you know, a lot of people, 30 minutes queuing at security. And it was, you know, part of the discussion was like, oh my God, it's the first time we're all getting together. Um, so, uh, and there's a very strange thing going on, I feel. So people are kind of excited about getting together, but they also realize the cost in terms of time, travel, money, of bringing a lot of people uh, in the same room. Now they're getting massive uh, travel restrictions because of energy prices, because of travel, because of environmental concerns. Um, what do you think is going to happen to Brussels? How far are we gonna get back to the old meetings and events and all that? When we know we're going into a recession where costs are gonna be cut and we've had this whole COVID learning experience where we know we can do things online. Uh, so, so where do you think, I think, you know, a lot of people, are, are, I can hear people saying they desperately want to go back to the old ways, uh, especially from managers. That's what I, I'm reading. But uh, in practice, I don't think it's that obvious. Where, where do you think things are heading? Look, I think we're going, we're heading towards a, an optimization point. Uh, this whole uh, COVID um, has opened a lot of new doors. So I think the Brussels bubble has been extended in the sense that we now not only have access to, I would say, Brussels-based or, or European-based, or you know, we, can, we can access experts and people from around the globe. I don't know if you're familiar with Lunch Club, which is a great uh, app website I've been using uh, since COVID, where I every week meet new people from all over the place. Uh, from all kinds of sectors, and it's just uh, networking whilst you're stuck at home, essentially. Um, and so I think there is an element of this, of bringing in people from all over the place to consult, to have a broader uh, public uh, input. Um, but at the same time, we all know that going for drinks, uh, being at a networking event, uh, talking to people, seeing people again after two, three years of not seeing them is, is amazing. Uh, you have this, this, and I certainly think this, I'm, I'm more old-fashioned in that way, the human interaction, the human touch is, of course, something uh, that you can't replace in the digital world. So I think we're going towards this optimization, make it matter when you are there, have a few but good and big and nice events uh, and, and come to Brussels for when it matters, but then keep in touch uh, via the virtual side and the digital side because it's possible. Uh, who knows yeah. what the metaverse will, will come up uh, here and what, what it will allow us to do as well. 
to have some hybrid solutions, but I think hybrid is here to stay. My family is yeah. meeting in, uh, in VR and it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> They're in different continents and playing games together, but seeing each other, like in their whole bodies, it's, it's quite an exciting uh, concept, which is, uh, I don't know, maybe even better than a drink. What do you think, Phil? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, what, what one point that was raised in the Erasmus Plus discussion was that the COVID has actually allowed them to go much deeper into their regional relationships. And they realized that most of their events, they excluded a, a whole group of people who didn't have the time to travel. It's not inclusive because for some people who have mobility issues, they can't come, financial issues. So actually, the reality is that by using the digital tools as a permanent feature, not just as a kind of a backup solution, you, I think the EU can start connecting much better with countries at regional, local level, which has been, I think, you know, the big problem of Brussels, that you end up, you know, having a bubble of people that are basically, you know, earning more, uh, more educated and, and, you know, very inward looking. And if you want to really have conversations, you need to start talking to people um, and not just the people who have the time to come to Brussels and want to come to Brussels. So I, I suspect that this is going to be a, a prominent shift and it's a political one, not just a practical one. And I also think that, you know, although it's great to, to connect face to face and to drink alcohol uh, together, which <laughs> a lot of these meetings are about, um, I think that, you know, for, for, for important political topics, you, you, you just need to be much more open than that. And it's not about how well people click. It's actually about how deep you go in talking to people that you don't normally interact with. Leo, are you going to make a point? No, I agree. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I just want to, I, I think now um, it's time for our recommendations. Fantastic. So Dorian, what are your recommendations for our viewers this week? Well, so one uh, podcast I've been uh, following since quite a while actually is uh, The History of English which is uh, very interesting because, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm quite into languages. I'm now learning my 10th language, and uh, it's uh, uh, very interesting to, uh, to to get, you know, the etymological perspective. And in that, that wait, case... Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Which 10 languages? Tell, tell us everything. Yeah, I can't so, just say that like that. <laughs> so German okay. is my mother tongue. Uh, then French, uh, Dutch, you know, as a good Belgian, I speak the three. Uh, English, of course, uh, Spanish and Italian. Uh, then I've uh, got some basics in Portuguese. I'm learning uh, Japanese since a while now and uh, have uh, some notions in Russian. And now I'm uh, also learning or getting slowly into Greek, but very slowly. So wow, step that's pretty cool. And so the English podcast is for you to perfect so, your sorry, When you're learning these languages, do the, you use Duolingo or how, how, how do you go about learning well, so far I learned them uh, often through through classes or in school, and now with Greek, for instance, I'm uh, I'm learning. I'm trying a new technique, really going along, uh, listening to music to be able to separate the words, to allow the brain to essentially know when to when to uh, separate words. Uh, and then I bought this uh, frequency dictionary, uh, which is essentially the the 2,500 most used words in, words in Greek. Uh, so essentially getting the vocabulary. And I think a, a human generally uses what is it 500 words a day pretty much. And with 500 words, you can get along a life pretty easily. Um, and so the idea, or my idea is now I'm at 150. So I'm starting to be able to understand Greek conversations, more or less what they're saying and so on. And, um, and then the grammar will follow later on. So I said one more question on this. And do you think that the fact that you already were trilingual growing up uh, helps you to acquire other languages more easily? And are you just doing this so that you can tick 
in our language on your list, or do you have a reason for Greek specifically? Now, I think that certainly the knowledge of uh, of other languages helps, but at the end of the day, I think it's it's, uh, it's memory. It's memory exercises. And of course, if, if you already know the word for dog or cat in, uh, well, six, seven languages, then knowing another one isn't that difficult because you already, you can make seven connections to it, um, which is also good for, for, for brain injuries or, or Alzheimer's or stuff like that, by the way. Um, reasons for learning a language, definitely. Uh, for I, I go with melody. I tried learning Chinese and sorry to all Chinese speakers, I don't think it's a beautiful language melody wise. So that's why I opted for Japanese, which I like. I don't like the melody of something I, I just can't do it and um, Greek well I've always had a um, in, interest in, in the Greek culture and the Greek language and, and because so many words and, and the languages we use uh, elsewhere come from Greek uh, so that's essentially the main motivation okay back to your book uh, podcast yeah. Yeah, no, and so history of English, great, very interesting because it, it explains also how, how English developed, coming from German, going through Dutch, then reaching uh, the United Kingdom and uh, how, how it develops. So very interesting take on, um, on how the language works. Um, yeah, I just shared, I wanted to share a video, a uh, YouTube talk on how to learn any language in six months, um, which I was watching a few days ago, which I think might touch on some of the principles you talked about. So maybe have a look at it and, and, and let us know if you think that's uh, an interesting uh, topic. I'm doing my German Duolingo, which is a slow <laughs> process, and I'm going to give another shot at Hindi uh, next uh, next week when I'm uh, over in India to try and improve my... my. But I, I, I think I have some way to go to get to the 10. Um, so, uh, and you have another book uh, on corporate communication? Yes, indeed. It's a book. It's a... A very fat book here. It's a present-day corporate communication, not the best name, uh, but it's essentially uh, a book where I, I contributed to a few chapters as well. It's see it as an encyclopedia. If you if you uh, if you're entering a job in corporate communications, have this as a bible so that uh, before reaching out to a consultancy, you know or already have an idea what you could ask for or what may be needed, and then. Um, it can save you in, in, in small, easy situations. You need to organize a press conference. You have the step-by-step -step guide there. And then you know what uh, what the experts will be talking about. Okay. And obviously, uh, and you, did, so it's, it's, yeah. it's uh, biased. But it's you great. Have a, a, you have a business book as well? Yes, uh, that's a book uh, from good to great that I, uh, I read during my studies. And I think it's uh, very interesting. Why? Uh, because it's all about finding the right people before going somewhere it's, it's it doesn't matter what whether the idea is the best it's you need to get the best people to be able to execute it properly uh and yeah, so really putting the focus on humans yeah there's a great uh, metaphor of the flywheel which i also uh, i like and uh, we've been using it in, in in the book which is about how different parts of your business can help feed on other parts and help kind of create some kind of momentum and on that actually i have a business book called high output management by Andrew Grove or Andy Grove, uh, who is basically the, 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 the chairman or the founder of uh, Intel, the CEO of Intel, and who has some really simple, brilliant ideas on management and really goes back to very simple ideas. My favorite metaphor is the breakfast metaphor. And when you plan a project, you have to identify your boiled egg, which is the thing that takes time and that basically you need to plan the other things around. I use that metaphor all the time. Leora, what is your recommendation for this week? 
Yeah, I wanted to talk about the fact that many people want to read, but don't get around to reading however much they feel like they should, um, and then end up watching Netflix, for example. So I wanted to recommend a writer of short stories, Edgar Carrot. He is brilliant. The New York Times calls him, uh, they, they said about him, if Kafka were Israeli and wrote about talking goldfish, then you'd end up with Edgar Carrot, which I thought was funny. He's really the Israeli um, Kafka, so a bit absurd, but like really funny stories. My favorite story is the bus driver who wanted to be God, um, who basically uh, the book starts with him saying, yeah, I really wanted to be God, uh, but that position was already taken. So I became bus driver and he's very uh, strict. If someone's late, he doesn't let him in to his bus. And it's, it's just extremely funny stories. And I think if you are struggling to read, just start with one story, um, a day and if you started these stories you just finished a whole book in no time because they're just not that good so Edgar Carrot um, there are a lot of translations to English now available um, and uh, just get your hands on all of them on your Kindle or however you prefer to read yeah and and you might also want to join the book club that Criticos one of my st former students from Odiseo has set up doing kind of getting people together in different venues to discuss different books. It's actually really successful. I just also want to point out uh, to the comments we had from Daniel. Thank you for saying happy Friday. Uh, Gaia Quasi and Gaia also saying fantastic Ordorian. I think she's going to try out your Italian and Quasi saying 10 language. That's nice. Indeed, it's pretty impressive. So I believe that's all we have time for. It's been very uh, interesting, Dorian. Thank you very much for sharing. And we look forward to seeing you uh, online and who knows in person. So have a great Friday. Have a great weekend. Bye everyone. Thank you for having me. Bye. Great. Have a nice weekend, everyone.